Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League news and opinion. I'm Jim Salverson and because it's Premier League focused this podcast, we can thankfully completely avoid talking about last night's Europa League final between Frankfurt and Rangers that I watched with very jealous eyes last night as a load of football fans enjoyed a few days in the sun, a few cold cervezas and 120 minutes of European final football. West Ham were robbed. I still maintain that. Instead, there are more pressing things at hand. There's still a handful of games in the Premier League and tonight's trio of fixtures gets everyone caught up with just one game left to play this weekend. We're going to be looking ahead to must-win games for Everton and Burnley in their fight for survival as they take on Crystal Palace and Aston Villa respectively. And then we're off to ownerless Chelsea will be looking nervously over their shoulders at a much-improved Tottenham who have an eye on third place. They'll need points against Leicester City tonight if they're going to grab that spot behind Liverpool and Manchester City. Finally, on today's show, we're going to take a look at some of the transfer stories that are getting traction, including a trio of players who could be rocking up at Old Trafford this summer. I'm sure Joel Tudor will be very keen to give his view on those potential deals shortly. How you doing, Joel? Um, you know, I'm absolutely amazing because guess what? The season is finally over this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's felt like such a it's felt like such a slog this season. So I just can't wait to bury it, never think about it again, and then continue on into the summer until next season when it all happens again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, football fans kind of hate this period of time when the football season is going to finish, and you know there's a couple of months without games on at the weekend. But if you're a United fan, I guess it's kind of understandable. You can't wait for the end of this season. Slightly different emotions, no doubt, for the other man on the podcast today, Marley Anderson. How you doing, Marley? I'm doing good. Just trying to sympathise with the Man United fan that spent a billion pounds on his uh, on his team in the last ten years, but. You know, that'll be us in 10 years, maybe. (laughs) And probably spending it better. Still (laughs) mid-table, wondering where all the cash has gone. Yeah, I can imagine that is exactly where you're going to be. Did you see that thing um, I posted on the socials yesterday about Man United? No. That they they spent, like, they spent last summer that money on Varane, like four or five times Champions League winning defender. Cristiano Ronaldo, probably the greatest striker of all time, you could argue. And then the most sought-after hot prospect in the world in Jadon Sancho. And they need to avoid defeat to Crystal Palace to maintain a positive goal difference this season. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Moving on, Jim. That, that's how... Uh, Moving just on. Just put it into context, doesn't it? Wow, wow, that's an incredible statistic. They've had some big defeats this season, though, haven't they, Manchester United? The games they've won, they've not won by many. And then they've been tonked on a few occasions as well, with the exception of that very first game of the season against... Was it Leeds United? Which everyone thought it was Manchester United just getting ready for a brilliant season. It turns out it was Leeds United getting ready for a terrible season. And they are one of the teams in that race for relegation at the moment. There's three teams in that mix who could still go down. Leeds are the only one that aren't playing tonight. Everton are playing. They're playing against Crystal Palace. And Everton, desperate for a win if they're going to secure Premier League football next season. But could a point be enough? Tonight, do you think, Marley? Their final game is against Arsenal, which isn't going to be easy because Arsenal need the points as well. So will a point do them against Crystal Palace? Um, mm, no. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I think when you've got two games left and one's, one's against Palace and one's against Arsenal, if you're not throwing everything you possibly can at, at Crystal Palace, you, um, you know, you, you, you're doing it wrong, basically. I think, you know, if they get a point tonight, they're three points ahead of Burnley, but that depends on what Burnley do um, in their game. So it's it's not one of them where you can go, you know what, I will, you know, we'll, we'll wait for our home game on Sunday because it's against, uh, oh, sorry, we'll wait for the weekend game and, and sort of trust we'll get something at Arsenal because they're away at Arsenal um, and they're at home to Crystal Palace. Like, this is this is their shot tonight, big time. Like, you can't really ask for much much more of a, a winnable game like Crystal Palace are, are, are where they always are next um, at this stage of the season where they haven't got anything to play for they're not as dangerous they've not got as much to prove um, and yeah they're, they're just sort of lurking around the mid-table Everton have been in good form especially at home so if you can beat them you can you can end this uh, this uh, relegation run because you'll be four points clear of Leeds and, and mathematically safe so 
the carrot on the stick couldn't be any any bigger, to be honest, for for um, Everton tonight. Certainly feels like Everton are in the driving seat when it comes to avoiding relegation and the teams that are in that mix. For Everton tonight, Donny van der Beek, former player at Manchester United or current player at Manchester United, is only on loan at Everton, could be getting his first start since the middle of March. It's fair to say, Joel, that this move to Merseyside hasn't really worked out as he'd hoped. What's next for him? Do you think Ten Hag coming back into Manchester United is kind of going to wipe the slate clean and potentially give him an opportunity there? I'm not quite sure, to be honest. Um, I feel like some players are just perfect for a particular club in a particular period of time, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go on and replicate that at every other club they go to. But this this loan at Everton has just been an absolute disaster. I mean, I don't even know why Everton probably went for him because... When Lampard first came in, he got Deli Ali and he got Donny van der Beek. And when you look at those two, they're players who are having a bit of stagnating careers. They've still got something to prove. It's not known if they can even get to the levels they used to be at. So it was a big gamble from Lampard. And I don't know why he didn't just go for more sure fits and more uh, more experienced players who you know you're going to get sevens and eights out of tens every single game. You know, the types, for example... Andros Townsend, he's not the best player, but you know, when he's fully fit, he'll probably give a little bit more to the team than those two. And it's it's pretty much shown. I mean, Deli Ali hasn't even started a game since, uh, probably when he first joined. Donny van der Beek's not started a game since March. It's, it's proven they've been a, d- a disaster. It'll be interesting when he comes back to United, though, just because, like you mentioned, obviously Ten Hag, he was his main midfielder next to Frankie de Jong when they did that amazing Champions League run um, in 2019. But, I mean, two th- two years has passed since then now. Well, three years has passed since then, and he's a different player. He's gone through different experiences. He'll, he'll have changed a lot. Um, I just don't know if he's going to be able to get to that level. And every single time you've seen one of those Ajax players leave that side and go to the biggest clubs in Europe, they don't really pull up trees. It's pretty rare, to be honest, because you've seen... Uh, De Ligt go to Juventus and he's had a pretty difficult time there to be honest Frankie de Jong has probably not reached the levels he did at Ajax um, and then you see Is that just the step up in leagues that's the difference there because the Dutch league just hasn't it, it, it's not one of the big four and there's just a bigger and bigger gap like we see between the Premier League and the Championship the gap between the likes of the Dutch league and Spain Italy Premier League is just getting bigger and bigger the more money that gets pumped into the big leagues yeah, it's a massive step up, step up, isn't it, in terms of quality? And obviously, Ajax is such a well-run organization, and they've got one of the biggest budgets in in Holland, and they are the dominant side. They play the football they want, and then when you go up to the next level with these clubs, where the football's a bit faster, you've not got all the similar players around you and the system which fits you to a T. Everything changes. Obviously, once in a blue moon, one of those players goes on to be amazing. For example, Luis Suarez, he came from Ajax and, I mean, the rest is history with him. But then with all these ones who come from the academy, for example, it's very, very rare that they go on and be incredible in Europe. So, for me, I I just feel like he's a bit of a lost cause. I think he'll improve at United with Ten Hag because it felt like Solskjaer didn't know where to play him. But I I feel like he'll improve, but I don't think he'll ever get to that level he did in that 2019 season. I was looking at a few of the other players, Marley, in that Everton squad, particularly looking at their injury list and some of the players that could be missing tonight, which includes Fabian Delph and Solomon Rondon, which (laughs) for most teams, you'd imagine missing those two players wouldn't be that much of an issue. But for Everton, it does leave them a little bit short. And is that part of the problem here? We look at that Everton team, we look at the money that's been spent, and still you've got players like Fabian Delph and Solomon Rondon in that mix. They've just got some very, very average footballers at that club. Well, I for one am shocked that uh, that Fabian Delph is injured tonight. He's he's normally you know, <laughs> such a such a. I forgot uh, he was still at Everton. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's long gone for me, Delph. Um, in terms of like he had a, you know, he, he did well that season at Man City where everything went well. Um, three or four years ago, and he had uh, he, I think I think he played twenty nine games, which I always say is Pep Guardiola's greatest achievement in football to get hit twenty nine games out of Fabian <laughs> Delph in a season. Forget trebles and Champions Leagues and La Ligas and Copa del Reyes and Premier Leagues. 
it and coaching Messi, coaching Fabian Del through twenty nine Premier League games is uh, is is as good as it gets. And at left back as well, and he was he was pretty was that good. One hundred point season. I think it might have been. Yeah. So what was that three three and a half four years ago now? So it's it's crazy, but yeah, Everton. Um, I think Everton have been let down mostly this season by uh, a lack of desire and and a lack of quality. Um, I think they're. Like I know Fabian Delph is injured a lot, but how many of those injuries are like properly bad injuries? They're not. They're just little niggles here and there. It's like Fabian, do you want to play this weekend? Oh no, me, me groin's a bit. I'm feeling me groin a bit, boss. Like, well, we're in a scrap here. Like, like you know, play on, play through it if you can. Just give us, give us an hour, because a, a guy with how many, how many appearances must he have in the Premier League? He's probably talking about over two hundred, three hundred, probably. You know, he's been he's been everywhere. He's been he's seen it all. The top of the league, the bottom of the league, uh, bottom of the league, challenging for Europe, everything. So, could he not help? Could he not help out in some capacity? Uh, I'm not sure what's wrong with him tonight. He's probably got he's probably scratched his arm on the door frame or something, and he's out and uh, he doesn't fancy it. But it's that again. Like Donny Van Der Beek didn't he, he? He refused to come to Newcastle because he didn't want to fight relegation, and then went to Everton. Which just sums up his his decision making and he's in the last two or three years of his career because the guy he he just gets everything wrong at the minute. Nothing's gone right for him since he left Ajax, and uh, that's what um, that's what Everton have got to got to be careful of because there's there's characters in that squad that I don't feel like they want to fight. They've got they've got players like Seamus Coleman who will run through a brick wall, but has passed his best, but he's still trying his hardest. Pickford playing out of his skin, to be fair, and then you've got a complete lack of. Lack of desire in front of him, like Alan Dukuri and Andre Gomez and people like that. I'm not sure they they want this fight. Um, it's you know it's it's a bit of a recipe for disaster, but it looks like they've uh, they might just about get away with it thanks to Leeds being awful. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's one of them where you they've got to address it in the summer and and say what was the problem here because we need characters that want to play for the football club and not uh, and not bigger names who who um, sort of turn up and expect the easy life. That decision that Van der Beek made because he didn't want to be in a relegation fight is a real indicator of how well the two managers have performed this season as well, I guess, with Frank Lampard not being at Everton at the start of the season, Eddie Howe not being at Newcastle. The fortunes of those two teams have been completely different since the winter transfer window. And that's uh, it's a testament to the work that's been done by Eddie Howe and the work that maybe hasn't been done by Frank Lampard. But I want to talk about the other manager for a second, Patrick Vieira, who's got a bit of a decision to make ahead of this game. So you might have seen this story and it's a really complicated story that I don't want to get too bogged down in because it's one that has some it's very difficult to kind of uh, voice the right opinion or voice an opinion on this one but Czech Coyote has been told Patrick Vieira said he's going to speak to Czech Coyote after the midfield offered an unspecific message of support to PSG's Guerre who refused to wear a rainbow colored number in support of the LGBTQ community during a game for PSG recently now he was subsequently dropped by the team and Czech Coyote sent this message of report, I think it was on Instagram, but didn't actually connect it to that incident necessarily. So Patrick Vieira said he's going to speak to him and see what the issue is. But is this the kind of thing, Joel, that can really upset a dressing room when you've got people who are being very public about views that potentially some of the dressing room have, some of the dressing room don't have? It just kind of disrupts that unity amongst the team. Yeah, and I just don't think it's the greatest time to be doing it after the young Blackpool player was the first player to come out in, what, 30 years in England. I mean, that's that was a massive step for someone who's 17 years old. And then, you know, to have the next day a kind of subliminal way of not supporting that movement. Of course, I think there'll be many players in the dressing room who'll be kind of um, taking a bit of distaste to that because it's, it was a progressive step for football. And to be honest, I don't know why this day and age it's such a taboo topic still. Um, it should be something which is just accepted as being in a normal kind of you know relationship regardless. So it, it's a massive step that, especially at 17, and I can definitely understand Vieira's stance on it. I also think that you know players should be free to wear what they want, but they also should be aware of the consequences of that as well. Um, so it's, it, it's a fine line and Vieira has to manage it quite 
well because he needs to keep the like you say he needs to keep the harmony in the in the squad correct because one player can completely disrupt a whole amazing season that his sides had to be honest I've been so impressed with Vieira and considering at the start of the season when he had such a bad start and everyone thought it was going to end in you know a quick sacking he's really shown his worth there so I don't doubt that his management of this will be really good because at Arsenal I mean he was one of the best leaders I think the Premier League's ever seen in terms of being a player and as a manager he's shown it as well but it's a very fine line you've got to cross with this um, especially like I mentioned when football has just taken a really progressive step to actually tackle an area which shouldn't be a taboo anymore. The reason I say it's a difficult discussion to have, by the way, I just wanted to add clarity of that, just in, just because I, I don't want to, I don't want to, someone to misconstrue my opinions on this issue. But the um, Czech Coyote comes from Senegal, and homosexuality is still illegal in Senegal, which obviously impacts his opinion on whether he should support something like LBGTQ issues. Now, obviously, as you say, with the news agenda at the moment and the current state of human rights and equal rights in this country, it's a disappointing and potentially disgusting stance to take to not want to support that kind of campaign. But at the same time, the context behind it and why he might share those views is important, but I thought Patrick Vieira, through the whole scenario and in his press conference yesterday, handled the issue extremely well and in a very a um, a manner that was be befitting of a more experienced person manager, people manager, and football manager than maybe he gets credit for. So I think Patrick Vieira has come out very well from this whole incident. But we'll have to see whether Czech Kyoto makes an appearance tonight for Crystal Palace. Uh, the other game, that in fact, packs the relegation fight is Aston Villa versus Burnley and it's another important game in that Premier League relegation fight you've got Burnley Leeds and Everton in it as we said if Everton get a win tonight that's them in the clear they're safe for another season would you say Burnley were maybe favourites from those three to go down now Marley um I I'm I struggle to call them favourites <laughs> um because they've got <laughs> You know, Villa beat them literally twelve days ago. Um, it's then they've got Newcastle at the weekend. I I think we'll go and beat them. Um, I can't see them. Uh, can't see them beating us. To be honest, the way the way we're playing. But looking at Leeds' last game, um, and you know, it's it's not it's not that easy. It's Brentford away for them, and you know, Brentford are a decent decent team. Like they keep the ball well, they create chances, and you know, they've got a little bit of a uh, history with Leeds as well, coming out of the Championship and stuff like that. So I probably struggle to call Burnley favourites, but I think Burnley are more likely to get a point, well, at least a point in the next two games than than Leeds are. I think Leeds will lose to lose to uh, Brentford at the weekend, and Burnley will uh, will pick up a point somewhere, whether it's tonight or or Sunday. Um, it's it's uh, they need it. I mean, their their biggest biggest. Um, sort of advantage is that their goal difference is literally twice as good as Leeds so they do only need a point um, whether it comes tonight I'm not sure but Villa Villa comfortably turned them over I think a, a couple of weeks ago I think Ings uh, Ings, Watkins and Buendia got the goals and you know Burnley have got a, a bit of a threadbare squad at the minute I think they've, they've got five or six injuries um, at, like in key areas, really, I think I think I seen Kevin Long playing last last week for for sort of um, for a sign of how bad things are. He's been there for about ten years, but only ever comes in when there's an absolute crisis, and there are there is a crisis at, at Burnley right now. But I think they're more likely to get a point than Leeds, even though I don't think they're as good a side as Leeds. But Leeds with their injuries and um, and suspensions is is huge at this stage of the season. So I can see Burnley nicking something somewhere. I don't know where, but I think they'll get something um, and probably send Leeds down. You mentioned that injury problem at Lee, uh, Burnley, rather James Rokowski and Ben Mee, both potential doubts for the game tonight, facing late fitness tests. That could be a huge blow for Burnley in their survival hopes. Mike Jackson, still the manager at Burnley, Joel. He was under-23s manager. Sean Dyche left. He kind of stepped up into this caretaker role. Are you surprised they didn't bring in a new man when Sean Dyche departed to get a bit of that kind of new manager bounce? 
Why do you think they've done that? Why have they gone with Mike Jackson? Is it because they believe he is the next gen? He, they think he's the man to take Burnley forward into the future? Or do you think there's a bit of a financial decision here that they didn't want to spend a huge amount of money having had to buy Sean Dyche out of his contract? They didn't want to spend a larger amount of money on a manager that might be quite short term just to bring him survival. Well, because he's the king of the drop, that's why. He's, uh, he's Michael Jackson, of course. Um, I think... <laughs> <laughs> it took you a while to get that one. Um, I think that, well, when he first came in, he, he actually did really well, didn't he? He wasn't dropping too many points. Um, and I said, when, well, I think everyone said when Sean Dyche first left, it's still unclear why he actually left. I don't know if there's any news of the actual rubbish. reasons why. Because um, they were they were 20th on the well, 19th yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's one of so. the main reasons. But I mean, in terms of, you know, because he'd been there such a long time, there was no kind of, you know, red carpet, letting him go, all these kind of montages. It was very out the back door. But I think everyone will be eating their words because I know a lot of pundits, because they were such loyalists and because they're so romanticised by the amount of time he's been there, everyone kind of saw it as well. That's it, Burnley are down. But like you just said, Marley, they were literally on the brink of the worst Premier League season they've ever had. And for Michael Jackson to come in and literally keep them within the conversation because Burnley were looking like they were dead and gone. And I think everyone just saw Sean Dice as, as this messiah who could always get them uh, to safety, forgetting that he has took them down um, before with Burnley. So I think you've got to give him so much credit. And I think you'd have to give the owners so much credit because they took so much criticism when they actually let Dice go. Even myself included, I was thinking, what, like, why would you let him go after he knows the club inside out? But maybe they did need that freshen up of new ideas, of different players being signed, and a different way of playing, and it's clearly working. Because if they get one, if they get another win now in the next two games, you would probably say they're home and dry. Because I really don't see Leeds getting more than a point against Brentford. So you have to give him credit. I don't know if they'll keep him on next season if he was to actually keep them up. But I mean. You can't really argue otherwise, can you? But I would definitely go in for a new manager after that. I think it's quite dangerous to keep a caretaker on, as we've seen in the past with so many different clubs, because I feel like the motivation's different. And then when you have to start a whole 38-game season again, it just doesn't work. So, But you have to give him so much credit. And I think you have to give Burnley credit. That's if they stay up. Aston Villa, not a lot to play for in this game, but they're having a huge impact on what happens at the end of this season at both ends they've played Liverpool they dropped points there they've still got to play City on the final game as well there's this potential relegation decider that they could have a massive influence on and it's probably going to be their main contribution to the season is deciding who wins the league and who goes down do you think Aston Villa fans will be disappointed this year Marley that they haven't been in the race for Europe or haven't had a good cup run or haven't done better in the league because there was a lot of promise around Steven Gerrard coming into Aston Villa and the players he's bought in. I think a little bit more was potentially expected. Yeah, I, I think they should be disappointed. I think there was a lot of noise coming out of Villa and Villa fans um, before this season. Like, oh, we've you know we saw Grealish, but we've signed you know four really good players, so we've we've spent the money really well. And you know, Dina and Ings and uh, Buendia and Martinez coming in and all the rest of it and. On, on paper, it, it was it was good. It worked, but you know, in reality, it ended up with sacking the manager in November and uh, and having to go and take another chance and, and prize Gerard away from from Rangers, um, and then back him in the market as well and and stick another twenty twenty five million on Coutinho on another huge wage and, and gamble again for next season. So it's um it's it's I think with Villa, it's almost like put up or shut up now because. They are they are doing the right things in the market, um, but they're not getting the league results to to prove it. And I think there's there's big pressure on on Gerard to deliver something which constitutes actual like promise next season because you know they're 14th in the Premier League this year. If, if they'd have kept Dean Smith in charge for for all 38 games, I don't think he'd have finished too different to 14th. I think maybe 15th, maybe 13th. But the red certainly would have finished in that area, in my opinion. But um, it's just it's one of them, and it? that that's football. You, you know, it never guarantees success. That's why you look at Everton spending half a billion, and they they need a win in the penultimate game to secure survival. You look at Newcastle spending money, and they've actually spent it well so far. And then you look at Man United further up; 
they've spent it, but they're not not going anywhere. Then you look at West Ham, who spent very little and and are spending it better than anyone. So there's no guarantees. Um, well, there's no guarantees about anything in football. So you're looking at uh, a Villa and saying like, is there a plan or you know is is when's this plan gonna gonna come to uh, fruition? Because as as we know in football, you can't really just keep spending money and one day it'll become right because sooner or later FFP will come in and Aston Villa finishing 14th, 15th in the Premier League isn't going to be um, doing too much for the spreadsheets to allow them to keep spending these big money. So I think next season's huge for them and if it goes wrong, we we could uh, we could be seeing like Villa quickly sort of sell their assets and uh, and have to play by the uh, play play it a bit tighter with the uh, with the purse strings. I guess the amount of money you need to spend to keep pace in the Premier League now is far more than it ever was, the more investment that comes into the league. We're going to talk about the other game for tonight's trio of Premier League action tonight, Chelsea versus Leicester City. And it felt like a bit of a dead rubber, but actually, for Chelsea, they need to win to hang on to third place. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Let's get stuck into Chelsea versus Leicester City then. Like I say, it felt like there wasn't much going on in this game, but for Chelsea, they've got Spurs steaming up behind them. Potentially, they could finish third over the Blues. And for tonight, Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, both injury doubts for tonight's game which is bad news for Thomas Tuchel, potentially good news for Romelu Lukaku, Joel, who's pretty much guaranteed a start in this one. Do you think he can save his Chelsea career? Or does it seem like his departure is pretty much inevitable now? Well, I don't think he can save it on one game, but Chelsea might even be forced to have to keep him with the current situation. Well, he's got two. <laughs> uh, two. Oh, yeah, two. Well, I mean, he's not guaranteed against Watford either. <laughs> um, but uh, well, yeah, hopefully he gets a start of this one. But, I mean, with the off-the-field situation going on at Chelsea, I don't know how they can even put a plan together at the moment because they don't know what budget they have. They don't know what strategy they have. They don't even know the owners at the moment. So it's a very up-in-the-air situation. But if you're keeping it purely on the football terms... I think Lukaku's been set on leaving since he did that Italian media interview, to be honest. Um, I just don't think that Thomas Tuchel's system and the way he wants to play suits him at all. But then again, when Romelu Lukaku's been in the Premier League, even at uh, United, the system and how bigger clubs in the in the league want to play is with the ball, you know, it's... Um, possession based maybe we can't, they can't really run in behind because teams typically sit back most of the time um, Inter Milan and obviously in the Italian league is a little bit more slower they have way more time on the ball a little bit more space and he absolutely killed that league that, that league for him just matched every one of his strengths because he didn't need to be very technical on the ball but he's very intelligent in the box and that's what suits him so well um, but I definitely do see him leaving to be honest I just think Chelsea need a more technical player on the ball a Drogba type in terms of the way in which he can actually get involved in the play um, I just don't think he's the scapegoat though for them it's just been obviously the £100 million price tag will always come to the surface and the blame will be on well why have you only put away what I think he's only scored six or seven in the league this season the blame will always be on him but again it's just as he's as he's come out and said, the way Thomas Tuchel's system and the way he's put him into the side is just not fitting him, and it's quite strange to me that because I don't understand why you wouldn't base your game around a player who's clearly cost so much and was so important to you last year. But I think that in the summer, if they can manage to get someone like Robert Lewandowski or just someone who is basically a reincarnation of Drogba I know that's a difficult task but someone who is of that kind of ball ability I think they're probably way better off if both separate I'm going to throw a controversial transfer move in it's probably never going to happen but for Lukaku to go to Tottenham and play in the Conte again and for Kane to play for Chelsea it'll never happen but I think <laughs> it makes sense for both parties Tasty Harry Kane going to sit well, where, where's Harry Kane going in that scenario Joel? Chelsea Oh, I see. It's a swap, a direct swap, yeah, swap deal. deal. Okay. However, Chelsea would have to put up a big, big amount of money. <laughs> yes. 
large fees involved. I guess, I mean, Lukaku's mentality has been questioned this season and also there's question marks over Andreas Christensen's mentality after he ruled himself out of the FA Cup final versus Leeds at the weekend for undisclosed reasons. Thomas Tuchel said it's not the first time it's happened this season that Christensen said he doesn't feel ready to play in a game. Can you understand in any way, Marley, him making that decision not to play in that cup final? I'm just trying to wonder how, how Leeds got to the FA Cup final there. I thought it was Liverpool. <laughs> I didn't say Leeds, did I? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> they wish. They wish. <laughs> yeah, they wish. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, Christensen's always been... Um, I, I can't. I don't know how to describe it. He's, he's not been your sort of normal footballer. I feel like he's always been a little bit... Um, a little bit delicate um, with his with his sort of mentality. He, he he took a while to come into the Chelsea team. I think he was there for a few years and had a loan at Munch and Gladbach and stuff like that. And then he came back to Chelsea. And I don't know, obviously I don't know the ins and outs of the whole situation, but he, he never felt like the most confident player. And I don't think he's ever felt the most loved at Chelsea. Um, and I think that's probably the the uh, the, the thing that's made him decide he wants to leave this summer but um I'm not sure again I'm not sure the ins and outs of, of the FA Cup at the weekend but you know whatever whatever um reasons he had it, it's probably a reflection of, of what he feels you know he's, his head's probably already gone he's, he's probably thinking you know I've got two weeks left to try and sort out where I'm going and I want to want to start you know looking at houses and, and getting my family over to where I'm going if I'm going to Spain or or Italy or whatever it may be so you know, should you play a player when he's not in his right mind? Probably not. But I mean, that doesn't doesn't make it less frustrating. But if you're if you're a professional footballer, as the you're a professional footballer who has the opportunity to play in a cup final, I don't understand why you wouldn't take that opportunity. And I, I know I'm looking at it through the rose tinted spectacles of being an Englishman who has a history of romance with the FA Cup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think even if it was, I don't know, let's say Jamie Vardy playing for Atletico Madrid, and it's the Copa del Rey. Uh, you'd, you'd imagine he'd do anything he could possible to get on that pitch for that cup final. Well, yeah, but it's it's not one one cap fits all, is it? It's uh, it's Christensen's probably... I don't... I don't. It's really hard to, to sort of give an insight on it when we don't know exactly what's what's happened. You know, it's just rumours, isn't it? From, what's been, from what I've seen from reports is that it's happened quite a few times due to stomach problems before a game. I think about a month ago, he okay. pulled out of one of the games pre-match because he had stomach problems. So I don't know if it's that, the case of That's understandable. Yeah. If it's a medical issue, that's fine. Because I, I, I don't whether think... Whether the suggestion is... Yeah, I think I, I, I don't think it's a case of professionalism because I'm sure he'd want to start every single game. But then obviously I think everyone looks at it the cynical way of, well, you're on a free transfer, you don't want to give you everything or get injured possibly and jeopardise that move to Barcelona. Um, but I would give him the benefit of the doubt and probably say it's something medical because um, even Thomas Tuchel said it's personal reasons. But then he also gave a little jab and said it's happened a few times now. So I don't really know which end of the stick to kind of mm. go towards. Well, he probably just doesn't want to be a, a Gary Lineker and uh, having stomach problems uh, <laughs> on the pitch. <laughs> old poopy Lineker. Um, let's talk about Gary Lineker's old team, Leicester City. Brendan Rodgers, he's not had the easiest of seasons. They've been booed off the pitch a couple of times. They've been accused of underperforming. But at the same time, they're going to finish top half of the table, maybe even eighth. They've got to the semi-finals of a European competition, even if it was the Europa Conference. Is it fair to say, Joel, that this season has been poor for Leicester City to this point? I think it's a compliment to say they're underachievers. A massive compliment because if you look at the past, they've had some of their best players taken away from them in the past years. You know, Kante, Mares, Maguire, and they've had to do a really smart recruitment to consistently build. And in the last two years, they've managed to give a really good competitive race towards the top four and obviously they missed out literally on the last day both years which has been really difficult it must be difficult to take mentally for that and then obviously this year they have been disappointing but let's not forget as well they've had so many big injury problems where they had Wesley Fofana out for three quarters of the season uh, James Justin again similar issue uh, Johnny Evans he'd been in and out of the side Jamie Vardy in and out of the side so it's not been their season as in nothing's really clicked for them 
obviously they had a really good little European Cup run as well, which I'm sure they were enjoying, but they were so underwhelming in the whole campaign. Even in the the group stages, they were losing games that they should never have lost or drawing games. And obviously they got out of the group stages eventually, but then they got undone by a Roma side who were just levels above them. They got it knocked been... out of the uh, group stage, Joel. It was the Europa League they dropped out of into ah, yeah, the conference Ah, yeah, of course, league. they dropped down to the conference. Then, Yeah, of course. Yeah, so again, that probably just shows their level, doesn't it? They managed. They should have got out of that group in the Europa League too. Um, so the Conference League, a bit of an easier run for them. But it's going to be a time for them to just rebuild, I think, because Jamie Vardy, can't, you can't rely on him forever. I think Patson Daka, you can't really rely on him too much, even though he does look very promising. Um, replacing Vardy's, not even just his goals, just his presence on the pitch, which causes teams so many issues I think it's going to be so hard to transition away from him and then obviously this summer they may end up losing Tielemans um, due to that contract situation so it's going to be a, a tough time for Rodgers in the summer but I think they've just been a victim of their own success in all honesty and they've paved the way for the criticism of being able to be such high achievers in the last two years. As you tell you, Tielemans might have played his last game for City, uh, Leicester City. He is a doubt for tonight, which means he could have stepped on the pitch for the Foxes for the very final time already. As I said at the beginning of this section, Marley, I thought this was a bit of a dead rubber, Chelsea versus Leicester City. But then I looked at the league table, didn't realise how close Spurs had got to third place. Chelsea need to win this because they want to get that third position now. And I guess it's a bit of an indication of how their form has dropped off as much as Spurs' has picked up over this tail end of the seasons. Do you think the questions that have been happening over the ownership and the future of Chelsea have had an impact with what is happening on the pitch? Yeah, I probably do think so because... um... I had noticed this a couple of weeks ago that when everyone was saying um, about who's going to finish fourth, Spurs or Arsenal, it wasn't out of the question that Spurs and Arsenal could finish in the top uh, the top four because Chelsea were dropping like a stone and it seemed like they were going to um, uh, put all their eggs in the FA Cup final basket and uh, that hasn't that hasn't gone well and now you look at them and, and you know they, they, they need a point from the last two games and they should get it because they got Watford at the weekend so they'll probably get They'll probably win there, and they should should get something off Leicester tonight. Who've who've conceded too many goals this season, and and that's why they they're finishing to, like, towards the bottom, uh, like the the mid table section. But with Chelsea, it's just um, it's just I think it's just about getting everything sorted now, ready for next season. Because you know what's happened to them this season is totally unprecedented. You've, you know we've never had it in Premier League history before. There was even question marks over over whether Chelsea would exist as a football club. Uh, a couple of months back, um, which is just crazy, and I, I feel a bit sorry for the players as well because it's not something that's in their in their hands, and it's not even something that's been could could ever have been affected by them. Um, but they should still finish third. It's it's not the end of the world, you know. Were they were they ever expected to win the league this se- this this um, season? Some people back them. I think you backed them, didn't you, Jim? But um, at one point, you know, coming into the league like that um, and and winning it, having made up the gap on City and Liverpool was always a, a ridiculous task and a very, very rare thing that could ever be done. So um, I think with Chelsea, it's just, let's just regroup and go again next season because get this one out of the way. It's been a bit of a, started off well, but it's been a bit of a disaster. Um, there's a lot of change coming off the pitch and on the pitch in the summer um, and they'll just have to get 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 ready and get straight for next season now. My predictions pre-season included Chelsea winning the league, Crystal Palace finishing rock bottom and getting relegated and West Ham having a really difficult season as they struggled on two fronts. Just goes to show what I know about football. <laughs> very little, it seems. Right, we're going to finish off today's podcast. We're going to have a look back. Speaking of knowing very little about football, we're going to look at the back pages of the papers and see some of the transfer rumours that are doing the rounds. There's some interesting ones, including Manchester City, Manchester United and Arsenal. We'll talk about it next on Football Social. Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Final bit of today's Football Social Daily. We're going to look at some of the 
rumoured transfer moves that could be happening within, what's two weeks until the window opens, I think? Let's start at Manchester City, and they're looking at Leeds' Calvin Phillips as the long-term replacement for Fernandinho, who is leaving at the end of the season. He's 37 now, that's according to the Mirror. Is he the player City need, do you think, Marley? Is he good enough, Calvin Phillips, to get a starting place in that City team? Is he better than Rodri, for example? <laughs> no. Um, that's pretty cut and dry, to be honest. I I know we, that Calvin Phillips is probably going to leave Leeds, especially if they go down, but the, the rumour about Man City doesn't really make much sense to me. I, I don't think he's... I think he's good enough to be a squad player for them, but if you're going to go to a... Go to a team, and you you know you're in you're in the England team, and you sort of um, got plenty to to sort of play for. When you're 26 years old, if you go to City and, and sit on the bench and come on in in some games and not really be a first team uh, first team player, because Rodri's, I think Rodri's actually younger than him. So looking at it like that, I, I wouldn't think it's a it's a fit for him. I'd I'd maybe pick. One of the uh, one of the outside top six chances, like if everything's well at Everton, I could see him going to Everton, but I don't think they've got the money for him now. Um, maybe Aston Villa have been linked with him for a bit, but again, I don't know if they've got the money with spending all that Newcastle. on Coutinho. It feels like it feels like a Newcastle signing all over. Well, Newcastle have been linked with him as well, so I think he, he makes more sense for 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 our team than than someone like Man City. I think that's too much of a step up for him and. If you look at if you look at our team, we've probably got a slight hole um, in terms of we need a we need another ball winner in midfield, and he's certainly that, and he can pass and he can play deep, and I think it's uh, more of a, a fit for him. But City's, I, I think they're just it's, it's more just the back page. He's trying to um, realise that that Fernandinho is going to go and uh, think about defensive midfielders who may be on the move for their club and with with Leeds out with Leeds where they are. You know, they're probably looking at Phillips and going, we'll put two and two together here and make a few column mm. inches out of it. Let's look at Manchester United. I could even see him at Man United as well. Yeah, Manchester United. I could see potentially him being a replacement even though he's a Leeds Declan boy. Rice at West Ham as well. If Declan Rice does move this summer, then Calvin Phillips feels like a semi-logical replacement, even if he's not of that quality. But I think his future does feel like it's away from Leeds, no matter what happens with them over this last week of football. As for Manchester United, Joel... Looking at a few players, according to the papers, the Mail says that Frankie de Jong is on the shopping list, but not if he's going to cost 70 million quid, which he probably will. Centre-back, Lissando Martinez, who played under Ten Hag at Ajax. He's of interest as well, says the Telegraph, as is Lazio's Sergi Milinkov-Savic, who has 22 goal involvements this season, 11 goals and 11 assists. Was that not great pronunciation? Are you not impressed with that, Marley? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It never is, Jim. That, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> that was all right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that rumour is coming from the Italian press. That is press. a bit of a long name, that. It's going to be a busy summer at Old Trafford, isn't it, Joel? Who are the key players and who are the where are the key positions that Ten Hag needs to look at, do you think? Because there's, I mean, there you've got a centre-back, a midfielder and an attacking midfielder in the mix. Are they the positions that Ten Hag needs to look at or are there slightly different areas of concern? It just reminds me of that tweet that the Man United account made when Moyes did his press conference and he said, we need to improve in the attack, midfield, scoring, <laughs> passing, basically everything. So this. in response to that, yeah, we need to improve in absolutely every area and that's not even an understatement. Um, I think Frankie de Jong, I think he's an absolutely amazing midfielder. But again, he's not exactly tore up trees at Barcelona. But then again, Barcelona have been in probably the worst period they've been in God, since maybe the early 2000s. It's been a very tough period for them. And also the fact that even though Xavi keeps saying he's the you know a priority, an important player in the side, he always mentions the economic side. So I think the only way he goes is if Barcelona need to sell him to balance their balance sheets at the moment because they're not the most well-run club in the world at the moment. In terms of Lissandro Martinez, another Ajax player, I mean, the press have literally linked United to the whole Ajax squad. <laughs> so I'm sure they're bound to get one of them right eventually and then claim that, you know, that was their exclusive. But Lissandro Martinez, he's only five foot nine and he's a centre-back. So in the Premier League, I don't see him being an effective player whatsoever. Um, I would probably be more interested in Justin Timber, which is the player who plays right next to him, maybe at right back, who has looked amazing at Ajax this season. And then, you know, as for Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, 
United have been linked with him for the last six years straight. He's another Atora Vidal, Wesley Snyder, Gaetan kind of player where they just he's the go-to guy for the Italian press to just create stories. That's what that's all it is. I think he's about 28, 29 now, and he's never going to get a move from Lazio because they always price him out. So it's going to be a interesting transfer summer for United, but I think it shows. I think one of the positives I like is that. There's not any concrete news coming from the club. Maybe that's because they don't have a clue what they're doing still and they don't have any transfers lined up. Or maybe it's a fact that nothing's coming out of the club and maybe they actually are working away on deals that have actually not got out into the pressure. I don't know. I would probably say more cynical, <laughs> the first option, which is that nothing's been done at all yet. But I think Frankie de Jong, if they can go all out for him, I would be massively happy with that because especially with Paul Pogba going in the opposite direction. Um, I think he solves a lot of our midfield problems that have probably not been solved since Michael Carrick's been missing. So I think he'll be a really good transfer, but I mean, it's going to cost a hell of a lot of money. I've just fact-checked your Lissandro Martinez height and you're bang on. He's five foot nine, which is tiny for a centre-back. That's like playing Gianfranco Zola. <laughs> centre back. That's, he must be the sh- he must be the smallest centre back in the top European leagues. I want to know whether there's a smaller one. There's a little job. If you're listening to Football Social Daily, do a bit of research. I think Cannavaro was uh, was wasn't he small? He was like five foot nine, five foot eight, wasn't he? Maybe, yeah, maybe five ten. I think he's deceivingly small. But he could he could jump like hell. But the thing with yeah. that Lisandro is Ajax have like eighty percent of the ball every week, so. As well in in yeah, in Holland, exactly. n- 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 no, there's no Burnleys in Holland. Nobody hoofs it, fr- uh, you know, from back to front. So he's probably wonder. I wonder what his sort of heading stats are. Like how many headers has he made, and then compare that to someone like like Maguire or Varane. And you know that's where that's where this is going to come into it. Because when you have the ball on the deck, eighty percent of the time at, at, at Ajax, it's more about how you can pass it. But You've seen the uh, the change in in you know people like Maguire and Lindelof who were who were uh, coming from different clubs and and have, have have had different problems. So you've seen it with Lindelof especially. Benfica are a, sem- a very similar team. Like they dominate possession most weeks, very comfortable on the ball. And he comes into the the Premier League despite being six foot two and well built, and he, he looks a bit lightweight at times. So it's uh, something to to think about with Man United because they haven't had the best uh, history of scouting. With uh, when it comes to sort of, sort of talent ID and uh, and picking the right man for the job, Marley trying to convince himself that size isn't everything, which he always says to himself. Remains <laughs> <But laughs> to be seen whether that's the case or not. That's <laughs> Let's life. finish off with Arsenal. <laughs> right, Arsenal could be an unlikely destination for Gabriel Jesus, whose move away from City that's been strengthened by the signing of Erling Haaland. Looked like he was going anyway. Looks nailed on now. I didn't expect to see him stay in the Premier League, if I'm honest. But Arsenal have risen as a potential suitor do you think he's had the opportunity to prove himself at Manchester City Joel and has he done enough with City to potentially interest Premier League clubs yeah I think he'd be a really good signing for Arsenal um he's one of those players for City where he's such a utility player but he he reminds me of kind of Chicharito in the fact that he'll never be a starter but you can always rely on him to get goals in games that you really need goals in I just see him as a kind of utility player I don't know how he would be as a starter I'm sure he'll get like a good 10-15 goals a season kind of Lacazette style I don't know if he's the player who could completely fire Arsenal you know to the next level I feel like they need someone probably above that but when you haven't got Champions League football I mean beggars can be choosers in that situation Um, but I think it just shows what a privileged situation Guardiola can be in to be able to move along these kind of plays. I mean, he just scored four goals in a Premier League game about two weeks ago, and now they're able to just kind of move him on, potentially Raheem Sterling as well, just because they can. They're able to not get complacent in that side because they have the funds available to get someone who has more fight, maybe more output. And these are guys, well, Raheem Sterling scored 17 goals this season in all competitions, which is, you would never think to move on a player of that quality. So, I think it'll be interesting, but I just don't think he's the player Arsenal need to turn over. But then again, I mean, you can't rely on Eddie and Ketia to fire you into the next season. So I think he's a step up and they don't have many options as well. So that's the difficulty they find themselves in. But 
I think it'll be a good signing, and they'll get a good what fifty million out of it, which will be it's great great money to come in and then fund probably this the the Haaland transfer and then anyone else they bring in. It's bonkers that he's going to cost potentially fifty million for a fringe player at Manchester City but that is the price tag that is being put on him can you see him working out at Arsenal Marley because there's a few fellow Brazilians in that squad already there's Gabriel there's Martinelli could we see a, like a little Brazilian bloodline <laughs> running through the squad at Arsenal well, everyone loves a Brazilian don't they so it's um you know Arsenal uh Arsenal are building a little little culture there um I could see it working me I I think Jesus is good enough to to lead most lines in the Premier League. I think if you play the right type of football, you don't really rely on his physicality um, too much. You don't sort of... Is Edu still doing recruitment? Is he still looking after the recruitment at Arsenal? Yeah, he is. Because that would kind of explain it, wouldn't he? Because he's obviously Brazilian. And they've just signed um, the young guy from Santos or Sao Paulo, um, who's only like 17, 18. So maybe he is bringing a bit of that Brazilian samba flair mm. to the South London, uh, North London, sorry. <laughs> it's funny as well, because he was like a distinctly average Brazilian footballer, really, wasn't he? <laughs> he wasn't the best. He was like... <laughs> He's living out his dreams now. <laughs> yeah, he was like half as good as Gilberto Silva, who was sort of alongside him in the same sort of era. But yeah, it's um, I, can, I could see Jesus working, to be honest. Um, I think if if you give him like 38 games in a season... Like I think he scores, I think he scores fifteen, sixteen goals pretty, pretty comfortably. And you know Arsenal desperately need strikers, so they're going to go out and uh, and and do something in the window. Can they go and uh, tempt him away? Because I think the the problem is, you know, Man City are, uh, you know, th- there's the comfort at uh, at Man City with with Jesus. They've they are going to win things. It's it's inevitable. Is he wanna? Is he gonna be tempted by the project at Arsenal to um, that it can that it can succeed in the next three or four years that he's gonna to give to them if if that is the case? But um, for me, I think it's a bit of a fit. It's just convincing the player and then and then getting the best out of him in in certain uh, in in the system and in settling in and things like that. So I can see it working, but it just depends on the player. Well, we'll leave it there for now, and there will no doubt be more rumours coming up over the next couple of weeks as we career towards that transfer window opening once again. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget, let us know your shortest centre-backs in history. I want to see your suggestions at the Sports Social on Twitter. Get involved there. Marley, Joel, thank you very much. And we'll see you tomorrow for another Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.